Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. All right, good morning, everybody. It is so good to see you guys. Oh my goodness, what a blessing. And wasn't that incredible seeing all those life change stories coming through there this morning? (laughs) Praise God for that. And not that it necessarily needs to be said, but I just want to say that. That is not Brazos Fellowship. That's not me. That's not our staff, even though I love our staff. That is God's power at work. And we just recognize that, celebrate that. We always want you to know that is the, the spirit of Almighty God at work in people's lives. And we believe that is the lifeblood of this place. And that's what keeps us going. So we're so thankful for that. We don't ever want to get confused and think that we had something to do with that. <laughs> so anyway, thank you guys for being a part of this and celebrating people that you love. Uh, I hope that some of these people you know, um, but also even if you don't, thank you for being a part of celebrating their life and their, their decisions to follow Christ. Today we're going to continue this series, Three Enemies of Your Soul. Some of you may remember we started this whole series with a challenge from Jesus, from the Gospel of John chapter 8, where Jesus is uh, being challenged. Um, by his uh, adversaries, the, uh, the Pharisees. And he is, it's beautiful because he really kind of helps us to understand what is this life all about in, in terms of there's a pressure that we kind of live with every day. There's this kind of like, why is life so hard? Jesus says, let me just clear the air for you. You're in a war. You are in a, whether you realize it or not, whether you agree with it or not, whether you're a Christian or not. There is actually a battle going on for you, your kids, and and everybody you know every single day, right? And he says, let me explain this war. It's not a physical war, not a political war. It is a spiritual war. It's a spiritual war to take back control of our minds from their captivity to lies with the weapon of the truth. And Jesus was really clear that I have come to be that truth and to bring God's word, which is truth, so that you will know what reality is. So you can be able to determine what can I build my life, what foundation can I build on that's not going to move on me. And that's what Jesus says. Like anyone who hears these words of mine puts them into practice. It's like the man who builds his house on the rock, right? And when the winds come and the storms hit, it doesn't move. But the one who hears the words and don't, doesn't put them into practice, right? It's like, oh, that's the truth. Well, I'm not going to live by it. I'm going to do whatever I want. Well, they're the ones who are like building a house on the sand, right? And he says, so the, the lies, the deceptions, make no mistake about it. They have an origin point. They come from an evil creature called the devil. He's real. He's not mythical. He's not made up. He's, I know you're thinking, I'm an educated person living in 2022, and we're talking about the devil. I'm telling you, that's exactly what he'd like for you to think, right? He, if he could keep you in the dark and thinking, oh, no, that's just a myth. That's a legend. That doesn't really. But Jesus was very clear that the devil is real, and he is a master deceiver, He is masterful at his deceptions that he pulls off in people's lives all the time. And he's working on you. He's working on your kids. He's working on everybody all the time. 
And Jesus is trying to help us to see that his deceptions are not random, right? They're very targeted. As a matter of fact, let's talk about the devil's strategy. We've covered this before, but his, the strategy is deceitful ideas that play to misguided desires. We all have them. This is what the New Testament writers called the flesh. The Apostle Paul, Jesus, we covered that the last few weeks, that are normalized in a sinful society. This is the part we're going to talk about today. But he's helping us to understand that we are fighting against these deceitful ideas with the truth, but they are deceitful ideas that are playing to these misguided desires in us that if we give in to the misguided desires, it will absolutely wreck our life. It will build a wedge between us and God. It will destroy our marriage. It will destroy our, any kind of respect or relationship we have with our kids. I mean, we all have those thoughts, right? Fleeting, those thoughts that hit our mind every once in a while. If we acted on this, oh my gosh, it'd be over for us, right? And if you don't think you have them, you're just not thinking hard enough because we all have them. I have them. We all have them. So today what I want us to do is camp out on this last part that are normalized in a sinful society, a society that is run by these deceptions. So today, this third enemy of the soul, we're going to call the world. We're calling it that because Jesus called it that and the New Testament writers called it that. So to, in order to introduce this idea, this idea of the world, I want to do it by way of a story, okay? So uh, any of you who are kind of old school heavy metal fans, I think you might like this, uh, this story, okay? Back in the year 2000, okay, the heavy metal band, I know, it sounds like way, way back there, but it, it wasn't that long ago, was it? Year 2000, the heavy metal band Metallica was in the recording studio, and they're recording this song, I Disappear, for the new Mission Impossible movie starring Tom Cruise. You know, it's coming out soon. So they wake up one day to find that their song that they're working on in the studio has been played in radio stations from coast to coast, all across the nation. But here's the kicker. They haven't finished the song yet. It's not even been mastered yet. Somebody went into the studio, stole the song, and released it without their permission. So they do some research to find out where did that come from. Well, it came from a new startup file-sharing program called Napster. Some of us remember Napster quite well, right? So they go to Napster's website and figure out, yes, our song is there, along with the catalog of every song they have ever recorded is there for download for free on the Napster website, right? And so thus begins one of the most famous uh, street fights in music history between Metallica and Napster, so they have a lawsuit against Napster for $10 million. And some of you remember this when it happened. They won. They won in a court of law, but they lost in the court of public opinion because a lot of their fans became ex-fans and a lot of the kind of music critics alike came out and said, Metallica are nothing but a bunch of greedy thugs for having done this, right? And Napster's argument was, hey, Metallica's rich. I mean, they're like filthy rich. And we're poor college students. We can't afford their music. We're just downloading, like we're just wanting to enjoy their music. What's the big deal for us to just skim off the top a little bit? And Metallica's retort to that was, hey, 
whether you steal from the rich or you steal from the poor, stealing is wrong. And besides, we want to be able to have some control over our art. I mean, that is something we're making. And now, what's interesting here is that uh, Napster, as it turns out, was no Robin Hood. Later, they sold that company for like $121 million so they can afford all the music they can handle, uh, I'm pretty sure, at this point. But what was funny was in this court case, there was no ethicists that were brought in to argue the ethical points of the case. It was like kindergarten level ethics. This was just so clearly wrong what they were doing. Nobody disputed that. But it became this huge thing, this huge issue. And it was an issue that was way bigger and transcended Metallica or Napster. As a matter of fact, how many of you here who are willing to admit you were a young adult or college student back in the late 90s, early 2000s? I was, okay, I put two arms up. All right, some of you guys are gonna remember this. You remember back in the day when we were, ha- we were, we were sharing burned CDs like they were candy. <laughs> you remember that? It was sprawling Sharpie on there like, oh, dude, you gotta try this band. Like, that's so cool. Listen to that, right? We, we, we did that. Uh, didn't we? I mean, it was, it was everybody. Like, if ever there was a phrase, everybody was doing it, like, everybody. I, mean, I was in seminary at the time. We were all doing it in seminary, all right? Like, everybody, everybody was doing it. Like, we were downloading music uh, off of, oh, my gosh, Napster, Limelight. There was a lot of websites. As a matter of fact, back then, you could get free music all over the place, right? And we downloaded many. I won't ask you to raise your hand on this one, because I don't want to out you in front of your kids or something, but... How many of us, think about it, downloaded pirated music for free? We didn't pay for it at all. All right, thank you. There's some real honest people in the, in the house. Appreciate that. Um, yes, we did that. I remember, and just for the record, I have gone back and deleted and or replaced with legitimate copies of music just so, you know, I could be consistent here. But uh, uh, not, not like just now. I did it. This is a while back. <laughs> It sounds like I was preparing for the message, right? Um, anyway, yeah, so there's this, it's this crazy thing that like everybody was doing it. So my question is, why did we do that? Like what, what possessed us to think that was something that was so clearly right and wrong? I think we all kind of knew, hey, you know, like just a couple of months ago, and it all happened so fast. Like just a couple of months ago, we were paying $20 a CD at Hastings or somewhere, and now we get it all for free? Like, something about this didn't feel right, you know? And it's funny how this moral line of right and wrong got redefined and moved by the popular opinion of the moment and of the day in such a quick period of time. I can't think of a better sort of opening illustration to illustrate what Jesus and the New Testament writers called the world. This pressure to, hey, everybody else is doing it. Besides, I want that. I want it, and everybody's doing it. That's a really powerful combination that's very hard to say no to, okay? So let's talk about this idea of the world. I want to define it for you, but first I want to say the world, kind of interesting, there's about three different definitions in the New Testament for the world, depending on the context of the word. It's very much like our uh, English word for ball. You know, ball can be a spherical object, you know, you play a game with, 
or it is a formal dance you go to. Obviously, I go to a lot of balls. Um, <laughs> or, or the last one is like having a great time. Like I'm having a ball with you guys this morning, right? And in the same way, the word world in the New Testament can be defined three different ways. So let's talk about those real quick. The first one is it could be uh, translated universe or planet, like in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, that it says that the invisible qualities of the creator, God, can be seen in his creation that have been made in the world. And the word there means kind of beyond just planet Earth, but like the entire universe. And then the next one here is that it can refer to, the world can refer to humanity, like maybe the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. And what, it, what he means there is all the people of the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And so the third one, I want us to look at a definition that Jesus gives for the world and of course, his is not in conflict with these other two. His is to um, just give another translate or another version of the definition. But I want us to look at the, this final prayer that Jesus prays right before his arrest, his trial, and his crucifixion. It's captured for us in John chapter 17. We're going to start with verse 14 through verse 18. And I'll read this to you. And this is Jesus speaking to his father on our behalf, by the way, for his followers, both then and now. He says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you would take them out of the world, but that you would protect them from the evil one. Notice here, Jesus is saying, God, I'm not asking you to pluck them out of the world. I'm asking you to protect them from the one who is orchestrating the deceptions of the world, the evil one, another name for the devil, Satan, the deceiver, the accuser, the destroyer. There's so many names that Jesus gave in the New Testament for him. But he's making sure we know he's real, and he is, by and large, orchestrating what is happening on this planet apart from those who are trying to follow God and under the power of the Spirit of God. He goes on to say, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. And I love this, your word is truth. Jesus was all about the truth. And he always equated himself being the logos or the word, and the word is truth. It is how it defines what truth is. That's why it's so important that we understand what God's word says about particular topics. But he says to sanctify them. This is kind of a big word that means to set apart, make holy, make like God. We are made more like him. We are made in the image of God as we apply and live according to and uh, alongside the word of God, it's so powerful. He says, as you sent me, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Just like Jesus came here on mission, he says, if you're a follower of me, you also are sent on a mission. Don't ever think you get up out of bed any particular day with zero agenda from God that day. Every single day, God has something he wants to accomplish through you to be a light in this world to be salt in a tasteless world. He wants to use you to make a difference. And when Jesus resurrects from the dead, right? Three days later, he resurrects from the dead. 
It was a way to emancipate or liberate us from this captivity, this tyranny of the devil and his lies and his captivity to deceptions that through the Holy Spirit we can be set free and be able to have the power and now the knowledge from God through his word to live contrary and apart from the deception and the captivity of this world. Like Jesus made the way for us to be able to do that. It's incredible. But we can break, sort of break the spell, if you will, of this world over us. I love how Dallas Willard said this in his book, Life Without Lack. Beautiful book on the 23rd Psalm. He defines the world in that book this way. He says that the world is our cultural and social practices that are under the control of Satan and thus opposed to God. Make no mistake about it. They are under the control of Satan and because of that, they are always in rebellion against God. So when we talk about the world, there's two big ideas you need to keep in your mind. That the world always leads to two things. Rebellion against God, in other words, autonomy. I wanna call the shots, I wanna be Will's boss, I wanna be Will's God, if you will. I wanna be able to do that. And, and there's something down in our flesh, each one of us that, that wants that. And then the other part is that I want to redefine good and evil according to what I want. And it's a very hard temptation to resist when I see everybody else doing it too. And what's really interesting here is that this is not a new idea, it's not a new concept, it's not a new deception. It goes back as far as humanity. If we rewind the tapes of human history all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 of the fall of humanity, when sin entered the, the world, the first question of deception that Satan through the, uh, you know, through the serpent says to Eve, he says, did God really say, did he really say you can't eat of any tree in the garden? And of course that was a gross misrepresentation of what God said. It's a lie. It's not what he said at all. He knew that. And Actually, he, he caught him on that one and said, no, no, that's not what God said at all. He, he said you could eat of any of the trees except for the, the one tree. So then Satan zeroed in on the one tree and he says, oh, the only reason he says that, he knows that when you eat of it, you'll be like God. When you eat of it, you'll be like, you can call the shots. You can be your own God. He's holding you back. He's trying to keep you from the good life really enjoying and having it all and really having, being really, uh, have fun and be blessed and be happy and it's a lie, it's a total deception. But it worked. And it's interesting that that is recapitulated over and over and over. Autonomy, I don't want anybody telling me what to do and I'm gonna redefine good and evil. And what's interesting is that doesn't ever stay in one place, does it? There is a current to culture. It moves, constantly moving in a direction that is away from God, according to Jesus. This is important for us to keep in mind, that it is moving away from God. And you will see this. What at one time in history was celebrated is now condemned. And what was once condemned is now celebrated right? It's, it's alarming, but it's the world. 
And what happens is when you see what has happened to Adam and Eve, when it begins to spread, this is what we call the world. You see, the world is what happens when Adam and Eve's sin goes viral. And that's what happened. That's what's happened in the world. It's spread all over. As a matter of fact, here's what's really interesting. It's, again, a very irresistible pressure, socially speaking, that people experience, and it makes it where it's almost impossible at times to make good, solid, rational choices unless you're conscious of what's happening. And the distortion starts to become the normal before you even realize what's happening. What's interesting, there's a lot of research that's actually coming out about this by social psychologists where they're saying that our behavior, both good and and bad behavior, can be tracked and, and it spreads across networks of communities of people like a virus does. They actually call it, they have a name for it, it's called a social contagion a social contagion. And these social contagions are, have been widely researched for many years, um, and maybe you've heard of like even the act of yawning. <sighs> right? When you yawn and you see me yawn, there's something in you that wants to yawn. You're like, I'm at church, I probably shouldn't yawn. And Will's looking right at me, so I'm not gonna yawn. But what's funny too, smiling. I love smiling. Smiling's my favorite, all right? so. Smiling also is contagious. Lots of research behind this. When I smile at you, it makes you want to smile back. Thank you. Some of you are doing that. It's great. When you smile at other people, when you go to lunch and you smile, they're going to want to smile back. It's a, it, it's a reciprocal kind of thing. It, there's some powerful thing innate down in us. It's the way we were made that wants to respond. But it also can be played against us if we're not careful. Even moral issues, they're finding the research is really powerful that Things like civility, when we treat each other in a civil way, that tends to get repeated. When we are rude, rudeness, it's crazy, rudeness, it spreads like a virus. And even things like uh, um, smoking and alcoholism, it can be directly linked to the people that you spend time with. If you're around people who drink quite a bit, it's going to be really hard not to drink. If you're around people who smoke all the time, it's going to be really hard not to smoke. And it's funny, even things like eating healthy. If you're around people who eat healthy, you will feel there'll be this subtle pressure to want to be healthier. It's kind of amazing. And the opposite is also true. People who could care less about that, guess what? You'll probably gain weight when you're with them, right? But you'll have a good time, right? (laughs) But it's funny how almost any behavior that you can think of, can it has this powerful social contagion component to to it. And uh, Dr. Paul um, Marzadin, um, he, he's a consumer psychologist. He, he had this great quote I wanted to share with you um, about this idea of social cultural, socio-cultural phenomena can spread through and leap between populations more like outbreaks of measles or chickenpox than through the process of rational choice. You're not even rationally choosing this. You just kind of do it. Translation, monkey see, monkey do, right? We have this weird kind of component of us. Now, it's not really that weird when you think about the fact that we've been made in the image of a relational, compassionate God. There's a part of us that wants meaningful connection with another person. We want community. We want close friends. 
But here's the thing, after the fall, after sin entered the world, that desire for connection, along with our, the, the desires of our flesh, it makes us vulnerable. It makes us vulnerable to Satan's deceptions, and he can deceive us into going along with things we haven't even thought through. It's not even right, but it feels right because everybody else is kind of doing it, and we get Stuck, and this is how he can have a stranglehold on society for so long in a particular area for generations. He can because there's this kind of combo either one of those by themselves, like I want it, everybody else is doing it. Either one of those is pretty powerful on us, on our kids, whoever. But when you put those two together, whoo, it is almost irresistible to not do that thing whatever that thing is. And most of what is being proposed to us in culture is that it exact 180 degree diametrically opposed behavior to what Jesus said was flourishing for human beings. Uh, Dr. Renee DeResta at the Stanford Internet Observatory recently published in the Yale Review, and she was talking about this kind of postmodern philosophy uh, of our day and how things happen. And she says, if you make it trend, you make it true. If you make it trend, you can make it true. Now, she wasn't saying it's actually true, but because it has such widespread acceptance among people, we accept it as though it's true. We believe it like it is true. And if human history tells us anything, it warns us that the majority, many times, is wrong. <laughs> Don't follow the majority. There are times that we need to back up and say, what is God's truth about this? And let's, even if it doesn't make sense in the moment, let's follow that. Now, there's a lot of places where this gets challenged in our culture, and I want to just share with you one of them that happened to me a couple of years ago. One of my favorite movies from a couple of years ago was Peanut Butter Falcon. We actually made an at the movies here at Brazos Fellowship on it. And it's this really endearing story. Now, again, I can't endorse it for every family, so you check it out before you go sit down with all of your toddlers and watch it because it's got some language in it. But I just be that as it may. It's a story about two um, young guys um, Tyler, played by Shia LaBeouf, who is this orphaned young man that's on the run. And the other one, Zach, played by Zach Gotzigan, who is a um, teenage boy with Down syndrome. And um, they're on the run most of the movie. And I remember watching this movie going, I just love this movie. And um, thinking, I don't think I've ever seen a movie where one of the main characters being played has Down syndrome. And um, he, he just is amazing. And I got to thinking more, not only have I not seen any, you know, these, uh, an adult person or a teenage person in Hollywood with Down syndrome, I don't think I have seen just a person with Down syndrome in society in quite a long time. And I did a little digging and I found out why. I just wanted to share it with you that since the 1980s, when the screening for Down syndrome became uh, um, common for pregnant women, most babies with Down syndrome have been quietly aborted. Most estimates say America aborts about 67% of babies diagnosed with Down syndrome. France, 
77% of the babies with Down syndrome. In Scandinavian countries like Denmark, 98% of the babies. In Iceland, nearly 100% of the babies. Recent Icelandic doctor was quoted in saying, we have basically eradicated Down syndrome from our society. And just to be clear, by eradicated, he means they have killed all the babies with Down syndrome. He called it genetic counseling. In several of the interviews with Shia LaBeouf for doing this movie with Zach Gotzigan, he talked about a little bit, and some of you, if you know about this guy, this actor, he's, he's had a, a lot of a bout with, uh, with, with alcoholism in his life. And he talks about how his life, I'm going to get a little emotional talking about this, has been totally changed by knowing Zach Gotzigan. He says, this guy, he just greets the whole world with his heart wide open. He's just pure love. He's so innocent. He said, I just, I, I, he has changed me. I am a different human being because I know this guy and he will forever be one of my closest friends. I love him so much. And it's just, he goes, I've never had this experience. He's made lots and lots and lots of movies with lots of people, super famous, Hollywood. And he's like, never felt anything like this. We forget God's contribution through people like that. We just think it's inconvenient. We'd be better off without them. And we're cheated. We get ripped off. I can't think of a better illustration of how this world has twisted God's truth and the deceptions of the enemy have played to the misguided desires of the human heart and have become normalized in a sinful society. What was really neat is that after the movie released um, the following year, it was nominated for an Oscar. Zach Gossigan had the honor of being the first person with Down syndrome to be invited to the Oscar ceremony. And I just felt like I needed to share, share with you just a quick video clip of this beautiful moment right here. Let's take a look at this together. seen and heard without the constraints of budget or permission. I've seen these films and they are beautiful. And if you haven't seen it, come see it. Bang. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, I don't know if that makes your heart sing like it does mine, but it's just a beautiful moment. I just love that. And I just wanted to share that with you because I really believe that God wants us to open our hearts and our minds to his truth and say, you know what? The world doesn't get it right most of the time. There is a deception going on. There is a pull in the wrong direction. And make no mistake about it, people are not the enemy. People are not the devil, okay? They are captives to deceptions, just like we are. We all fall captive, fall prey to, dece to deceiving thoughts, deceptions at times, and we make decisions that we regret and we wish we hadn't done. And it's so important that we remember, just as Paul said, we struggle not against flesh and blood, 
It's not people. These people that we share this planet with are people for whom Jesus died. They are the object of his love for God so loved the people of the world. Remember that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.